0: Well, happy 25th anniversary, everybody. So exciting. And I'm sure all those songs brought back all kinds of great memories. Just out of curiosity, if you have attended Sagebrush for five years or more, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? That's a whole bunch of us right there. All right, that's incredible. Way to go. All right, if you've been here for more than 10 years, 10 years or more, raise your hand up high. Let me see where you're at. Wow, there's a whole bunch of you folks. Aren't you getting sick of hearing me, I tell you what? All right, let's get into the deeper waters just for a second. Raise your hand if it's 15 years or more. 15 years or more. Wow, faithfulness right there, friends. Okay, we got to have the next group stand up. 20 years or more, if you have been here. Wow, look at that. You could have a seat. I I tell you what, I, I just choke up. Think about your faithfulness. All right, one more. These people have a special place in my heart. The original 120, is there any left or have you all died? That's my question. Stand up. Boy, there are just no words for that original 120 i got to get my act together, man. I'm going to ball the whole way through this thing. I tell you what, those people, man, we wouldn't be here. And this would never have happened if it wasn't for them and for their faithfulness and how God used them. So let me kind of give you a little bit of the history of our church <laughs> as I get up here and I cry like a baby. Um, some of you know the history, some of you don't know the history. I'll tell you as many stories as I can. I, I just want you to see about the faithfulness of what God has done. I, I was uh, working at Hoffmantown Church as the student pastor at the time, and the pastor was a man by the name of Charles Lowry. He's been here a few times. He's spoken, I have a great relationship with Charles Went down to his office. I said, I hear that there's a rumor going around that you might have an inkling to start a church on the west side of town. And I said, I'd like to throw my name in the hat for that. If if it would be possible, I I could lead that charge and I could start that church. Well, Charles had his reservations. He said, you've never talked to adults before. And that was true. And he said, I'm not certain that adults will listen to you or, or you can put a volunteer team together. I'm not sure what kind of leadership that you've actually got, he said. Todd, to be honest with you, it's just an idea. I don't know if anybody is even interested in starting a church on the west side. And, and so he, he, I give him credit. He, I, I always owe Charles big time because he gave me an opportunity. He said, "You know what? I'll take a shot with you. Let's, let's let's go for it." So we said, "Let's have a banquet." So we got all the roster together of all the people that attended the church at Hoffman Town who lived on the west side, and we invited them into this dinner. Over 500 people showed up to this dinner. And I thought to myself as I sat there, I thought this is going to be the easiest church startup that has ever been because all 500 of these people are fired up about starting a church on the west side. Well, everyone anticipated that Charles was going to drive back and forth from the Northeast Heights to the west side. They thought he was going to pastor both churches. So you can imagine how stunned they were when it was announced that I was going to be the pastor of the new church on the other side of town. It would have been the equivalent of a Buffalo Bills fan hearing those words wide right one more time. It's just not something that you want to see, not something that you want to experience. Well, I, I told the people, I said, Listen, I'm going to start a class called People of Purpose. The purpose is to start a church on the west side. We'll have one on Saturday night. We'll have one on Sunday morning. I hope you'll come and you'll be a part. I just thought to myself, we're going to have hundreds of people come that very first week. So my wife and I, we got there early, and we set up all the chairs, and and about a couple hundred chairs, because we were just certain they were they did not come. They did not come. (laughs) We had 15 on Saturday night, and we had 15 on Sunday morning. That was it. First weekend, 30 people. I remember Charles stopping me in the hallway and saying, how'd it go? And I said, oh, it was amazing, I tell you what. Why he didn't pull the plug at that point in time, I'll have no idea. But he said, just keep plugging away. Just keep keep inviting. Keep, keep doing what you do. We'll see what God does. So we kept meeting as a class for the next few weeks and months. And, and all of a sudden, rumor got out that I was a decent speaker and, and that we were doing something really great on the west side or were planning to do so. And we were having a lot of fun. So that class, that people of purpose class, began to grow. And, and it got to a point where we had about 400 people come into that class. Well, that started a whole other set of problems because there were staff members at the time that were paranoid that if we took 400 people over to the west side to start a church, that it would cripple the mother church. So staff members, my brothers and sisters in Christ, were pulling my people out of people of purpose, having private conversations with them, telling them not to go and start a church on the west side of town. That, that, that was hard to deal with. Well, finally, we got the green light, and it was time for us to, to launch the church. And so I had to stand before all those people and the people of Purpose class, over 400 of them. And I said, listen, if you're not going, if you've just been coming to have a wonderful time, we're glad that you've been a part, but now we're gonna start the church. I need just the core that's going to do it. Everybody else, I need you to find another class for next week. And the next week, I put out the same number of chairs I put out the week before, because I was just certain that they were gonna come and they were gonna help me. But almost 300 people didn't come back the following week. And that left me with these 120 faithful people. Well, one of the things that I learned along the way is that you go with the goers. And I had some goers, I'll tell you that. And so we began to buy our portable equipment. We found a place to meet. It was Petroglyph Elementary School. It was a very clean school, but it had its own issues, I'll be honest with you. Everything was short. The water fountains were really short. The toilets were even shorter. We sent in many a rescue mission to help people get up. We lost many a good man and woman in the toilet. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That was, a, that was a rough deal. The very first week we opened up our doors, we went from 120 people to over 300 people. We were so excited. But I, but I told the folks, I said, listen, just a bunch of looky-loos. They're not going to come back the next week, but They did. Then we had 350, we had 360, we moved to two services, we moved to three services, and with 10 months, we had already outgrown Petroglyph Elementary School. Let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just to think that it started with 120 people to the growth and the impact and the outreach that um, Sagebrush now has. Before Sagebrush existed, my husband and I, Boyfriend at the time we're in Todd's youth group over at Hoffmantown and then when he started the people of purpose group uh, Courtney and I both joined that I lived in the South Valley and I drove about 12 miles to get to Hoffmantown to go to Todd's west side people of purpose class well initially the goal was to start a church on the west side the west side was growing. It was hard to find a church on the west side um, that really had the heart uh, for Christ and for those who need him. We were in that class for probably a year and a half before Todd uh, drew the line in the sand and said, okay, whoever's coming back next week. You're moving to the west side. There was probably only about 120 people who remained. We were blessed to be part of the original 120. We were part of the 120. I was there uh, first service at Petroglyph, and I remember it well. Setting up in Petroglyph Elementary School, I was working in the nursery holding the babies. I worked with toddlers then. The toilets were... (laughs) were for little kids. We joke about that striped, awful striped shirt he was wearing on that very first service. Haircut was a little different. It just flew. It just, everything landed in place. It just took off. We started with our uh, mission that we still have of To know Christ and make Christ known. To know Christ and to make Christ known. Know Christ and make Christ known. The purpose is to know Christ and make Christ known, and that's what it's done from day one. But I remember that it was a time of such joy. We were so excited, and I think everybody was just on fire. I get grief about that shirt. (laughs) That was a Tommy Hilfiger. That was in. And that haircut, that was in, too. I just want to make sure you know that as well. Well, the next seven and a half years, we set up and we tore down at LBJ uh, Middle School. We never know if we're going to have heat in the winter or if we're going to have air conditioning in the summer. Uh, We didn't have very much. We, we, We didn't have very many people coming at the time. We didn't have a whole lot of money. Uh, We didn't have a whole lot of talent, to be honest with you, for our band at the time. We didn't have a whole lot of people who could play drums or play the guitar, things like that. So I remember one weekend I called over at Town Church and I said, listen, do you have an extra drummer to help your little baby church out over here? They said, yeah, we'll, we'll send a guy over your direction. I said, I really do appreciate it. So he came over and he was a really nice guy, but he brought his son with him. And while we were playing in the first service and he was drumming, I think a demon got a hold of that child because he starts running around screaming in that whole auditorium. He kept doing it even when the preacher was preaching. I wasn't preaching that particular weekend. So I grabbed a hold of him and sat him down next to me. Well, the dad didn't appreciate that too much. And between services, he took off with his son. Now, it was bad enough losing a drummer, but he took our only pair of drumsticks with him. And I I don't know if you know how expensive drumsticks are. They're expensive. They're expensive. We had all our little money together to buy a single pair of drumsticks. He took off with our drumsticks. I remember looking around going, where'd our drummer go? And they said, well, he's just left. And I said, he took the drumsticks, and I ran out into the parking lot. I'm waving my arms. I didn't care if he left. I just wanted my drumsticks back once again. But he took off with my drumsticks. Well, we had another service to do, and so I went back inside, and I began to ask different people. I said, does anybody play drums? Does anybody play drums? So I went to one of the guys who was off that weekend and normally played the bass guitar, and I said, do you play drums too? He said, not very well. I said, that's okay. We don't have any drumsticks. (laughs) So we ran down the hallway, found PVC pipe. I cut a couple of pieces of PVC pipe, and those were our drumsticks for that particular weekend. But somehow God blessed all that. I don't, I don't know how people just kept on coming. We're moving from another service to another service. Uh, at, at that point in time, we had the idea that we need to start saving more money for our future to get property, etc. And so our associate pastor at the time, a man named Randall Stotts, he came to me with an idea. He said, Todd, I think we can raise some, some, some money. And I said, well, how do you want to raise it? And he said, let's sell our plasma. That's what he said to me. He said, let's sell plasma. You, you, you didn't get that wrong. We're that church, okay? That's a part of our history he was all excited about it and had a sign-up sheet in the back. And he got up there, and he made his big announcement and said, hey, we're going to go out next to Friday night and Saturday. I'm going to be there, and you give your plasma, and then you give us the check for your plasma. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll put it towards the future property and towards the future building. So I remember after service walking up to Randall, and I handed him two $20 bills because you're going to get 20 bucks for the plasma. Handed him two $20 bills. I said, this one's for me. This one's for my wife. We like our plasma an awful lot. But there were a lot of people that donated money and gave plasma. Friends, we're here today because people donated their plasma. Well, that's incredible, isn't it? Well, we finally bought the piece of property that we're on here at our Riverside campus, and we were about a million dollars short. And we had probably about seven, 800 adults that were coming at the time. And we paid off a million dollar debt in a one-year period. And then we realized, isn't that good? And then we realized that it was time to go into big debt because we needed to build the buildings. And so we needed $11.4 million. Now there's not a bank alive today that would loan a church $11.4 million with a congregation of less than 1,000 people. But this was that small window of opportunity when the banks were all wiggity-whack, giving money to whoever they wanted to give money to. And so we ended up getting $11.4 million. Now, we knew we needed to change now that we were going to be permanent. We were called Hoffmantown West up until this point in time. We wanted to have our own identity in the community. And so we came up with the idea that we would be named Watermark. We voted on it as a church. We liked the name Watermark. We were excited. So we're in the midst of getting signage together and getting posters and all this stuff made with the new name Watermark. We put our brand new website out. And it turns out that there's a church in Texas with the name Watermark. And it turns out that this church in Texas has copywritten their name. And they don't want anybody else, the United States of America, to have the name Watermark. So they sent me an email with a cease and desist letter to it saying if we didn't change our name, that they would sue us. Now, friends, we live in a wiggity-whack world, and I can't think of anything more wiggity-whack than when a church would sue another church over a name. Can you imagine if somebody found out who had the first name, First Baptist Church, how many lawsuits they could give (laughs) as a result of that? It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. We were mad. We were angry. We called them on the phone. They said, well, that's just the way that it is. That's the way our senior pastor's doing these types of things. So we called a copyright attorney. We are going to fight it. The copyright attorney said, well, you can fight it. and You can spend a lot of money, but you're going to lose. I said, all right. Bulldog and whoop a skunk, but it ain't worth it, you know. So <laughs> we decided we changed the name. So I had lunch one day with Tom Garrity. He's a PR guy. He does all the balloon fiesta stuff. Got a really good firm here in town. And he was sitting down talking to me, and we were talking about what a new name might be. And Tom said, have you ever considered the name Sagebrush? And I said, Sagebrush? He said, yeah, Sagebrush. I said, that weed that nobody likes, that's what you want me to name the church after a weed? We name the church after a weed. Everybody's going to think we smoke weed. That's what they're going to think. Sagebrush? Nobody even likes sagebrush. Everybody's throwing sagebrush. They dodge when sagebrush comes rolling by. What are you talking about, sagebrush? I'm not naming the church. set. the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. He said, you're thinking about it all wrong. I said, fine, Tom, give me the PR slant. He said, all right. Sagebrush is a beautiful plant in the desert that covers the entire Southwest. Now, that's a PR spin if I've ever heard of it. Then he said this, he said, uh, it grows where nothing else will grow. You can try to burn it, it just comes back stronger. You can try to pull it up from its roots, and as you shake it, the seeds will go all into the wind, and more sagebrush will pop up. And then he said something that really resonated with me. He said, the only reason it grows is because God wants it to. And I thought, that's our name. That's our name. It just fits us. We're nothing more than a weed. That's what we are. Just nothing more than a weed. Take a look at this. When you saw these people who would get there before dark and setting up the church. sweet floors, clean bathrooms, set up, tear down, whatever it took. We didn't see it as a, a burden or a task, but more of a, we get to do this. It was great. And to see the growth happened so immediate. We grew fast early. And the real reason why it was spreading is people were inviting people that they knew. You know, once you get in there and you hear the music and you hear the message, the building just kind of fades into the background. I definitely enjoyed having the run of the school and would like go behind the bleachers and look at all the gum everywhere. I was one of the 30 people that were first baptized. I actually got baptized at LBJ Middle School. I was on the worship team. I remember my first rehearsal was at a house because like, there's no building. You know, we had one time where one kid kept pulling the fire alarm. Todd used to say, I'm sorry, it's Africa hot in here today. We didn't get too hung up on how bad it smelled or how hot it was or cold it was. We didn't have the wonderful video crew. We didn't have all the things we do today that are just fantastic. We had dramas. Where you know, people were actually acting in these dramas. we were uh, wanting to do more with discipleship and counseling and care for people. Uh, we were wanting uh, more space for staff to office, uh, more time to rehearse music. LBJ was just not gonna be big enough for what God wanted to do. And when Coors and La Uria came up, I mean, it was just so exciting to go down there. And we walked the land and prayed over it. Then obviously, we had to have a capital campaign to raise money. And then we paid it off basically in a year. There was a groundbreaking ceremony held, a lot like you see on the news with the shovels and everything. At one point, Todd said, you know, God had purposed this land for us from the beginning of time. And, and we prayed uh, for, for the people that were gonna come here one day and that we're gonna hear the message of Christ and know that God was gonna move uh, and, and change lives on this property, on this land. Well, we finally built the building. Uh, the buildings that we built on the riverside was the kids' building and the student center. The student center used to be the worship center. This building didn't come until 2012, the worship center that we're in right now. We were growing so fast. We were in six services at LBJ, and so we knew that it was, it was time to move into the new facility. Well, we opened up on grand opening, and we went from 1,600 people to 4,000 people in one weekend. And that was a a mind-blowing thing. And and again, I said, well, that's just a bunch of looky-loos. They won't be coming back the next week. But you know how you can have a higher attendance on grand opening than you had on grand opening? Have Easter the week after grand opening. That's how you do that. And so the next week we had 4,400 come, and then it was 4,600, then it was 5,000. We couldn't keep up with the growth. Now, a lot of people don't know this because I've never really shared this before. But that first year when we moved into the facility was my hardest year of ministry. And the reason it was so hard was we grew so quickly that all these new people had come and a lot of them had come from other churches where they were disgruntled. And they came to try to change who we were, who our DNA was, what our mission, what our purpose was. I I used to have an email box. I don't have email anymore and, and this is why. They would shut my email down. I mean, every single day I would get hundreds and hundreds of emails asking me all kinds of questions. Why don't you do communion every single week? Uh, Why is the music the way that the music is? I would rather you do music like this. And then my favorite ones were the ones that said, you need to preach differently than how you preach. And I'm thinking, you need to get away from the emails, what you need to do, because this is who I am. You don't try to change somebody, you don't come someplace. You adapt to the DNA and the culture. You say, if I got chemistry here, I like what we're doing here, then we come after it together. But these people, they didn't didn't want to do that. And it it was just a really hard time. So I came up with this idea. I got with Chris and I got with Bob. And I said, let's do a three-part series called Q&A. Let's pick up all these emails of all these questions, and let's just answer them over the course of three weeks. And then people can decide if this is the church for them or not. So we did the three weeks, and we lost 1,000 people in three weeks' time. And that was absolutely brutal on me. But you know how sometimes God's got to prune a tree back a little bit so we can have new growth? Because once all that was gone, And all that sideways energy was gone. And now we had the goers that wanted to impact and kick down the very gates of hell. Well, let me tell you something, friends. There was no stopping us at that point. We went back to 4,000, 5,000, 6,000. We're back in six services. And we called a consultant on the phone and we said, listen, we're growing so rapidly that what God wants to do here, it just can't be contained in one location. We had heard about a thing called multi-sites. We said, let's go after one of these multi-sites. So the guy came out and he began to teach us how to do a multi-site. And here here was the idea of a multi-site, is that everything would be live. The music would be live, uh, the kids' ministry, student ministry, all the ministries would be live. The only thing that would be recorded would be my message. And and so I said, you know what, before we launch into this, because I don't know if people will buy into it or not, I said, let's do this instead. Let's just do a trial run. You know, between Christmas and New Year's, we do a best of where it's on video. We had never done that before. And so we said, let's put a compilation together of the best of. We'll show it rather than me teach. Let's see how people interact. So I remember I sat all the way in the very back of the student center, as far away as I could. In case there was a riot, I could get out of there as fast as possible. And and we start the video up. And I was absolutely blown away. People were engaging. People were laughing. When I asked them to raise their hand, they raised their hand. And it just occurred to me that for the most part, even when we're in this room, you're not looking at me. You're looking at a screen. Look at what you're looking at right now. Hi, I'm over here. It worked. Nobody got up. Nobody rioted. Nobody rebelled. And I thought, this this might be, be something here. There was one guy... That got up, but I think he had to go to the bathroom. I tried to stop him on the way back and say, man, you ought to go to the bathroom before you go to church. What's the matter? But he got by me too quickly. That was unfortunate. So we launched our very first multi-site campus. We did it in Rio Rancho. And then we launched the next one in the Northeast Heights. And then we launched the next one at our Highland location. And then there was Los Lunas. And then Farmington and Belize, they almost launched simultaneously. Then we launched our Santa Fe campus. And then after we launched our Santa Fe campus, well, this past year, you know that we just launched our Uptown campus. Well, we were cooking with kerosene. I mean, we're baptizing thousands of people every single year. We are hitting attendance marks like we never have before. We're doing ministry like we never have before. But we're also incurring debt like we never had before. And all that expansion, all the buildings that were built, and all the things that had to be done, we ended up with a debt ceiling of $18.5 million. Well, this past Tuesday, at 1241, We called the bank, and we paid off the last $2 million of debt. We own everything. Let me rephrase. God owns everything. To him be all the praise and the glory for what he's done. Man, we were doing so good. And then COVID happened. <laughs> and that was the second season that was the most difficult. Not getting to see you, not getting to meet with you, not being able to go and do small groups in someone's house because they had limited how many people could be in your home. That was awful. And for some reason, the church was in the line of fire over lots of different issues that were happening during COVID. And there were people who got angry because they wanted us to do this or they wanted us to do that we just want to teach jesus we just want to be the calm in the midst of the storm we want to proclaim that jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords and that we're to love all and that we are to serve all and that we did something during COVID that i promised you for years that i would never do we went on tv i never wanted to go on tv Never had a desire to be on TV. I think there's something special about being in the room, feeling the presence of God, seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ, attacking the gates of hell. But times have changed, haven't they? And that TV and that stream, that was our lifeline. And, and God took that and blessed it too. And today we have over 140,000 people that watch a sagebrush service every single week just in the state of New Mexico. It's incredible. It's incredible those sagebrush seeds you just can't stop them take a look at this regardless of anything else to know christ and to make christ known is the point of what we do i think that was one of the uh secrets to our success was that DNA that we all had. Leading up to our very first service in our very first building of our own, we wanted to read all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. So I was three when we moved into the, the building. I grew up with my parents doing small groups every single Tuesday night. I also have been able to teach at Living Free. There was a sagebrush when I went to college at, at New Mexico State. They started a little um, sagebrush and I, To me, that was home. It's exciting to think about everything we've done so far. Multi-sites and helping all around the world. Look at Belize. Who would think that we have opened doors and started churches in all of these places? These are lives, these are not numbers, these are souls, these are hearts. I believe if we stay faithful in terms of what we do as a church, and God will be faithful to us in many ways. I am just so thankful for the people within Sagebrush and just the hearts that they have and that the fact that they just keep growing and telling people about Jesus and bringing them to church. If I had one prayer, it would be that every single person that attends Sagebrush would truly get the heart of God. That it will continue to keep growing. But grow stronger in relationship. Keep up the excitement. I mean, realize that this is God at work in Albuquerque. God's gonna do things that only God can do, and if we get to be a part of that, then that's amazing. The only way we're gonna to continue to be a successful church is by everybody doing their part, everybody contributing in some way. To know Christ and to make Christ known is timeless, and I know that Sagebrush will do that. It will make Christ known. We will be a light in a community and in a world that desperately needs Jesus. I just feel very thankful and very blessed to be part of this church. So why did we start it? We started because we want to reach one more person for Jesus. Because every single person, every single person matters. I think about the spiritual condition of our city all the time. Next time you're driving home and you're driving through your subdivision, do it a different way. What I mean by that is look in those homes and see the people, but this time really see them and realize that the national statistic in the state of New Mexico is that 90% of the people that we have interactions with every single day do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 90%. And someone has to go to them, someone has to share it with them. Where we get this idea, we got it straight from what Jesus did Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says Jesus went. He didn't wait for the people to come to him. He went to where the people were at. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had what? He had compassion on them. His heart broke wide open for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd is a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Because sheep are defenseless, aren't they? They don't have any fangs or claws. They, they don't have a nasty growl to keep predators away from them. Sheep are also not very smart. They're, they're stupid. You're never going to see a sheep trainer. You're never going to see a sheep do tricks. And, and I'll tell you the third thing about sheep is they're a bunch of followers, They'll follow each other right off a cliff. If a shepherd's not there to protect them and to guide them, one will go off a cliff, and the next one will go off, and the next one will go off, and before you know it, you've you got a big old bed there at the very bottom, of cotton that's all dead and bloody right there. You know, the Bible says that we're sheep, that Jesus is our shepherd. That's the truth, isn't it? We're, we're kind of defenseless. A little cold will knock us out for days, won't it? And honestly, we're not that smart, are we? How many times you said, I'll never do that again, only to go back and do it again? And how many fads have you lived through trying to fit in, be like everybody else? Let me show you what I mean. Take a look. We're just, like, we're just like sheep, following whatever fad, following whatever trend, and just coming up empty. Jesus' heart broke over people who were searching for meaning and purpose outside of him. Do you remember what it was like to be harassed and helpless? With no hope, so empty and so confused? My guess is that someone came into your world. Someone told you that God loved you enough to send His son to die on a cross for you. That he didn't stay dead. That he rose again from the dead. Somebody told you that he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil because he's with you. His rod and his staff, ah, they comfort you. Somebody told you that God has a plan and purpose for your life. And regardless of what you've done, regardless of all your missteps, regardless of all your rebellion, regardless of all your sin, He's still reaching out to you, still calling out to you, still has an amazing plan and purpose for your life. And all He wants to do is life with you. He's for you in every way. And when you heard about the amazing love of God and you heard about the sacrifice of God, your heart broke open. Man, you repented of your sin. You said, I don't want to live that way anymore. You believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross, and that he rose again from the dead. And you committed your life over to him. And you said, everything I am and everything I hope to be, I just want to live my life for Jesus. And now you have the greatest gift of all. How many would say by a raise of the hand, all campuses, that Jesus is the greatest thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life? Let me just put him up high. Let's give praise and honor to him absolutely he's the most important thing that's ever happened in my life as well so here's my question what are we going to do with that this is not a place where we keep this information to ourselves this is not a place where we've come for the last 25 years and we sit sour soak and split and not advance the kingdom of God this is a place where we put in sweat equity This is a place not for small sacrifices. This is a place that you give your very life to because you're going to advance against the gates of hell. You you set up rescue missions and you do what is necessary to reach one more for Jesus because there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and people really are going to one place or the other. So here's my question. If everybody was like you, what kind of church would we have here today? Because let me tell you about the original 120. They couldn't look for someone else to do what needed to be done. Because there wasn't anybody to turn to. They couldn't look for somebody else to volunteer in a ministry that really wasn't their skill set. Everything was our skill set. And not a one of them freeloaded. They sacrificed. They gave generously. Generously. Because they believed that building up the kingdom of God was more important than building a kingdom of mud. So what's your next step? How can you be the church rather than just attend one? How can we be certain that the next 25 years is even greater than the first 25 years? It's going to be when every single one of us says, Lord, here am I. Send me. Use me. Stretch me, lead me, guide me. God, use me in a way I never even dreamed possible. God, don't let me ever be satisfied with just showing up to church week after week after week. Help me to roll up my sleeves and be the church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the past 25 years. It has been such a great ride. Thank you for my bride. Who stood by me, sustained me, helped me through the highs and the lows? Lord, what could we do? What could we be? You're not done. I know you're not done. You're not done with us. You're not done with this group. What more could we accomplish if everybody would take that next step? So give us the courage to do it. For every one of us to be the church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.